Well, over the last two weeks, we have been here in the book of Acts, specifically in Acts chapter 9, and we've been looking at the person of Saul of Tarsus. This is a, a young man who was very intellectual, very zealous. He was a, a really the, the rising star of Judaism in this day, and he was a man who, as we've said the last several weeks, was so utterly convinced that Jesus was a false teacher. His disciples were spreading lies about who he was, that this zealous young man named Saul made it his mission to eradicate the disciples of Jesus. He was very effective in Jerusalem at doing this. His persecution was so severe, so strong, that the people there were forced to flee for their lives, leaving the city and, and going to other places. And, and Saul's success there was actually what God was using to see the gospel spread to other places. As the believers went, they didn't stay silent about Jesus. They, they began to tell other people in other places about the message they had been preaching there. And, and when Saul hears specifically that there are people now 135 miles away in Damascus proclaiming the message, message of Christ, he decides, well, what I've done here in Jerusalem, I will do there in Damascus. And he sets out to eradicate the church and those believers who have fled there. But on that way to Damascus, on the road there, just outside the city, Jesus reveals himself and proves to Saul everything his disciples are teaching is true. He's God. He's risen from the dead. He is the light of salvation. And Saul's spiritual blindness is exposed and confronted and then conquered by Jesus on that road to Damascus. The former persecutor of the people of the way becomes baptized as a follower of Jesus in Damascus. That's what we've seen in these last two weeks as Saul's life was radically changed. His story of salvation is incredible and amazing, and yet there's a lot we can learn from Saul's life still as we look at the events that begin to unfold from him. So this morning in our third week, we're going to title this message, Growing Past Your Past. Growing Past Your Past. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, the second half of verse 19 this morning, if you have your Bibles in front of you. Here's what we read. Now for some days he, that's Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And last week, you looked at, at the story of, of salvation that Saul experienced, right? How he moved from, as I said, the, the primary persecutor of the church to himself becoming a believer. This transformation was, was radical, as we see evidenced right here, right? He came to Damascus to silence anyone who would speak this message. And here he is himself in the synagogue proclaiming to everyone, Jesus is the Son of God. The now saved Saul is just as zealous to proclaim who Jesus is as the spiritually blind Saul was to try and destroy the followers of Christ. Right? The, the, the spiritually blind Saul was so zealous, he had spent months tracking and arresting and overseeing the trials and even executions of those who followed Jesus in Jerusalem. Right, But now the saved Saul takes all that zeal, all that passion that he has, and turns it to serving Christ and proclaiming the very message that he himself once hated. And this now saved Saul joins with the other believers in Damascus, the people he'd originally come to arrest, and he begins going out in public with them into the Jewish synagogues, preaching the message he himself once hated, once wanted to silence, but now knows firsthand is true. Jesus is the Son of God. That's the message Saul's proclaiming. It's a radical change in this man, isn't it? A complete turning from one direction to the opposite direction, which is exactly what a true conversion is. 
It's what the word repentance that we use actually means. Repentance is not just saying, well, I'm sorry about the thing I, I did. Repentance is actually an action of turning from that thing to something else. In, in the most biblical sense, repentance is turning from, from the path you were headed on, the, the love of sin and the, the eventual destruction that comes from following and living out your sins, turning from those things to obedience of God and following his ways. Saul is repentant in the truest sense of the word. Everything changes for Saul when he submits his life to Jesus as Savior and God because that's what true salvation is. That's what true conversion looks like. Radical change, headed one way, turning and going the exact opposite. Look, no conversion is, is simple or trivial. It's not when we're converted that we have a new, a new little add-on to, to put into our lives, right? It's not just a change the next time the census comes up and you're going to have that religious affiliation box and now it's, well, I was this, now I'm, now I'm Christian. It's, it's more than that. It's not something you get to just claim, I am a Christian verbally and then continue to live as you were before. No, true conversion, true salvation is a change, a life change that happens in you. The salvation of Saul was a completely life-altering event that turned him from the persecutor now to the proclaimer. It took him from what he had come to Damascus to do to now being one of the people he had come to eliminate. The now saved Saul is out publicly sharing about Jesus because that's what true people who have encountered the risen Savior do. Real disciples obey the word of Jesus to go and share his message with others. And Saul's evidencing that right here days after the Damascus Road experience. And the response is, is this. Look at verse 21 as Luke records it there. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? If you were here last week, if you remember that message, their response sounds a lot like the response of Ananias, Ananias initially, right? Where God tells him, go to Saul, and Ananias' response is, Are you sure? <laughs> You got the right man, right? He's confused. He's questioning. I, I've heard things about Saul's past, about what he's done and, and what he intends to do now. Saul was the greatest enemy of the disciples of Jesus in this time. There's no one else that stands on the same level as Saul during these years. He is the man most responsible for suffering and the persecution of the people of God. He is the most zealous person trying to silence and suppress their message. And here he is, confusingly enough, in the synagogue proclaiming, that very message. Now, I want us to, to think about what this means and what this application means for our lives because I know many of you need to hear this again so that you would really understand it, really take it to heart. Your past is not something that should keep you from sharing about Jesus. I, I, now, I know we all have pasts and I know we all have mistakes in our pasts that we we really wish weren't there, things we wish we wouldn't have done. I know all of us look back and think, what if I would have done that differently? What if I would have gone down this other path, right? And sometimes what we did wasn't, wasn't wrong. We just have the regret or the wonder of, of what else could have happened. But, but for many of us in this room, we, we look back not just with there were two options, I chose one. We look back and see there were some specific sins <laughs> that I did that I, I'm really ashamed I, I did, Right? So some, of, some of us maybe have some shame over how long we struggled with certain things in our past. 
Many people I know wrestle with a sense of inadequacy, a temptation to look back on our past, all the mistakes that that we know, all the things we fear others may know about us, and think, I just can't do what God is saying I should do. I, I can't share about Jesus because of that thing or those many things that are in my past. You look at your past as something that you think would make sharing about Jesus ring hollow or be ineffective. And so, for some of us, that means we don't even try. But look at Saul. I mean, look at what Saul's past is filled with. Literally, as I said, he is the enemy of the church at this time. There's nobody else on his level. He is the most zealous persecutor. He is responsible for lives being destroyed entirely, even people being killed for their faith in Jesus. And and understand, that wasn't Saul's past 10 years ago. That wasn't Saul's past when he was a, a foolish teenager in high school. That was Saul's past days before the moment he's in the synagogue proclaiming the message, Jesus is the Son of God. But once Saul experienced salvation, everything in his past no longer became a hindrance to him. Once Saul experienced true salvation, he said, no matter what I've done before, what I know now has to be shared with the people I come in contact with. You and I need to look at this, look at Saul's experience and see just how powerful the change that Jesus produces in us really is. When you come to faith, your past is not erased in the minds of everyone else. I wish it was that way sometimes, don't you? It's not erased in the minds of everyone else, but it's forgiven by God. And that's what really matters, right? It doesn't define you anymore. You are not bound to your past anymore. When you repent of your sins, when you submit to Jesus, when you receive salvation from him, it's a complete and full salvation that deals with everything back there totally. Nothing is left uncovered from the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you understand that, You can live in a radical way that no longer will your past define you or hinder you from obeying God in the future. Because Jesus redeems all that has come before and even intends to use it in your obedience to him. Because that's what he does with Saul, right? This is the first instance, but it's not nearly the last instance, where someone's going to bring up Saul's past. Saul, weren't, weren't you the persecutor of the church, didn't you? Weren't you there when Stephen was murdered? They're going to bring those questions up, and more times than we read of people bringing up his past, we'll actually read of Saul bringing up his past himself as he shares about who Jesus is. Why? Because Saul knows how bad he was before. Saul knows the evil he was doing before, but he knows more than that the grace and power of God to forgive those things on the road to Damascus, and he wants everyone to experience that. So he's not trying to hide his past. He begins to use his past as part of his testimony, as part of obedience to sharing about who Jesus is. This is what we should be doing too. God uses our past as part of the story of salvation that he is unfolding in our lives. Our pasts are not things we need to hide. They are instances of illustrating God's incredible grace at work in us personally. They're the details of the story that makes your story so unique 
and compelling and the story that only you can really share. God uses the story of Saul's life not just from his conversion onward, but he uses all those past sins and all those mistakes and all those things Saul would no doubt go back and do differently if he could. God begins to use those things to demonstrate how great his salvation really is. This is who Saul was. He doesn't hide it or minimize it, but this is who Saul now is, is the constant theme of contrast that we see in his life. So Luke continues in the text in in verse 22, saying, but Saul, when he's questioned of his past, when it's brought up before him, Saul doesn't hide and doesn't make excuses and doesn't say, oh, you're right, I'm so, so unworthy to do this and run away. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Saul was never deterred by questions about his past. Saul never let the confusion of how radical a transformation hinder him from explaining how that radical transformation has come about. He was not bound to his past as if it somehow made him unable to do what Christ wanted him to do. Saul had met the risen Jesus. He had become convinced that he is the Christ. He is God in the flesh. And that genuine conviction led to Saul seeking to convert others to the same belief. So no matter what our pasts are today, we are still called to share the salvation of Christ with others. That's our purpose. That's our mission. And something else important happens at Saul's life at this juncture, and it's something I want us to really see and understand here today, how it also applies to us and how it will help you move forward in doing this, beginning to use your past to share the message of salvation that you yourself have received from Christ. What we see happening next in the story of Saul's life is something that, that still needs to happen today and is something you need to focus on, but is something that, that kind of is a, a temptation to skip by in our modern culture. What we see in Saul is that he begins to grow as a, in a new way as a follower of Jesus. He's, he's professed publicly with his words. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's been baptized. But now that becomes true, and he begins to be discipled and grow in his faith. See, I think there must have surely been a temptation in this moment with, with Saul because of how zealous he is and the immediate success we see in these few verses. He's out proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. He's questioned, he continues, and he's confounding the Jews, proving the message is true, right? There's success in Saul's passionate sharing at this moment. And so so what I'm betting is that that there was a temptation on the part of the believers there to do what we're tempted to do with high-profile converts too. I think the idea must have come across somebody's mind to go, you know, we need to get Saul out in front of everyone. He's got the story, right? Look at this radical transformation. We gotta get the, we gotta, he's got to go on tour. We've got to get him out everywhere. We've got to show everybody the amazing transformation of Saul's life. We're tempted to do this exact same thing today with high-profile converts, aren't we? I, I'm thinking particularly of uh, two that have happened in the last couple years, Kanye West and Justin Bieber. If you've, if you've heard their, their stories, the last couple of years, they both have made public professions of having come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there are many in the religious world that immediately, when those news stories break, I mean, sometimes just when they broke, who are saying, 
Man, we need, we, need, we need to get them on a platform, right? I mean, these guys are big, big names. These are popular people. Millions of people follow them and know who they are. And they have compelling stories that we just need to get everybody to hear, right? I mean, these are guys, both of these men, who, who have tried everything this world has to offer. They did all the things this world promises will satisfy the heart. But they themselves would say, I was empty in all of that until I met Jesus. And, and, and I'm serious. I mean, they did try everything. They, they had tons and tons of money. They bought lavish possessions from homes to cars to clothing, technology. They, they went to the most beautiful places on earth, did the, the most wild parties you can imagine, all kinds of illicit activities, tried drugs, tried alcohol. They did all of it. They were incredibly popular. They had people who loved them and would do whatever they wanted done. Pick something you think would make you happy. If that was just what you could get or have or accomplish, that would fulfill you. And these guys, they, they had it. They tried it. So with those stories, you can imagine if someone's been there and done that and found Jesus to be better, that is a compelling story. That is an interesting story that people could relate to, right? So there's a natural draw to want to platform them right away. But, but it's not a wise or biblical move. Their conversions may be real and genuine, and I, and I honestly, I pray they are. I've said that from the very beginning. I cautiously look at that, and I said, I pray that that is true. I pray that Justin Bieber and Kanye West both really have met the risen Christ, experienced the light of salvation, are being uh, drawn into a deeper relationship with them. I pray it's true. But what I don't want to do is make the mistake of putting them forward too quickly. When they don't know really what this faith they now profess means, there's a danger for any new convert to be elevated to a position of leadership or instruction or a platform like that too quickly. Here with Saul of Tarsus, I have to imagine, because of his story, because of how compelling it must have been, there was the same temptation. But what we see take place in his life was God stepped in to prevent him from getting platformed too quickly, to begin to prepare him for a lifetime of following him and a lifetime of youthfulness rather than just a moment in the limelight. God actually sends Saul out from Damascus into the Arabian wilderness, not with anybody else, not for the big stage, not to, not to draw the big crowds. He sends Saul out so that he can teach Saul more about who he is and grow him and prepare him as a disciple. This is how Saul explains his own testimony. These are his words that he writes down for us. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And again, draws to his past, right? For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But then, he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia, and later returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Here's, here's what Saul's testimony is. Here's what he explains as the timeline of his conversion and these events that take place. God is sent, uh, Saul is sent by God into the Arabian wilderness to receive growth, to receive training in who he is, to develop him in the faith before putting him forward on a public platform. And Saul tells us he was there for three years. So let's just think of that for just a second. If you have a, a biblical uh, background, you, you understand the, the narrative of the Bible. The disciples of Jesus, the 12 called by him, who, who went with him in his earthly ministry, got to spend, what, three years with Jesus, being trained, being grown, before they were sent out to carry on the message and the mission, and, and the church began to grow, right? Saul is called away into the Arabian desert to spend three years learning from the risen Jesus himself, he tells us. My question to you is this, if the disciples needed three years of concentrated growth in the Lord before they were ready to follow him and publicly proclaim the message and lead and, and do all the things they began to do, and Saul needs three years of that, do you really think you need less? Do you really think the focus of spiritual growth in your life should be less than it was for these men? A time of training in spiritual growth is what all followers of Jesus need. It's what all believers must be focused upon pursuing. It's what every church then must prioritize providing. God's design is not to give people everything they need to know at the moment of conversion. Boy, that'd make it simple, wouldn't it? But that's not how it works. There's no direct download of spiritual knowledge, piety, and holiness that comes alongside our salvation, right? It'd be a lot easier, but it's not the way he works. God's process is to grow a person over time as we do the work of learning and practicing the faith. And for these men, it's three years of day-by-day -day intense learning and growing in the Lord. So this is what God does in his perfect wisdom and plan is he sets aside Saul for three years of growth in his life, sanctification taking place in that wilderness of Arabia. And then Luke records what happens next in Acts 9, starting in verse 23. He says this, when many days had passed... Well, that's three whole years. <laughs> so that's many days. That qualifies, right? When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. My, my guess is, probably for, for many of you who came in the room today, you, you now know something about this story and about the narrative flow here that you didn't know when you came in. A lot of storybook Bibles, a lot of Sunday school lessons tend to make us think that this event, that the escape from Damascus takes place just a few days after his conversion, right? But according to Saul's own testimony and the grammar of Luke's own words, that's not what took place. This is three years later. Saul's been away. He's been growing in the Arabian wilderness by Jesus teaching him and revealing himself more to him. Then he returns to Damascus, and it's then that this whole movie-ready way of escape takes place, right? So then Luke continues, in verse 26 to 30, he writes, Now when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples there. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him, 
And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Notice just, just again, tying this chronology together. That last part about Saul's trip to Jerusalem says that after they learned of this plot, they, the other disciples, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which is exactly what Saul says in his testimony took place. After three years, I went to Jerusalem. I visited Cephas, that's, that's Peter, and with Andrew. And then after 15 days, he says, I was sent off to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia is the region where Tarsus, the city of Tarsus is. It's his hometown. So all of this aligns perfectly. All of this is, is the, the story, the chronology of, of Saul's life. It's what we can learn as we do a little bit of work digging into these biblical texts. And, and I hope you find that interesting and, and something maybe motivating for you to do in your own study. But I, but I want to come back to the, to the main point here. When Saul comes to Jerusalem, after he has spent three years in the wilderness being sanctified and grown by, by Jesus, we see that the people there still remember Saul's past too don't they? But again, Saul's not deterred from doing what Jesus tells his followers to do. Though most of the disciples in Jerusalem are afraid of Saul initially, it takes the godly man Barnabas to to take the risk and the time to hear Saul's story of salvation and to actually see the sanctification that's taken place in him and and introduce him to Peter and to, to James. And then the interesting thing to me is that he's only there for 15 days, he tells us, right? So Saul says, over the course, I was there for for only 15 days. And Luke says, over the days he was there, what was he doing? He was sharing about Jesus, (laughs) trying to convert people. And it prompted quite the response, didn't it? See, Saul understands how important obeying the command of Christ is and how desperately people need to hear about the only hope of salvation. So even though there's fear all around him, even though people question in his past, even though there's all these reasons for Saul to just say, you know what, I... I don't think I'm going to, I'm just going to lay low for a while. Maybe I'm not the right man to, to, to go and share. No, Saul understands this message I have needs to be heard by others. And so he's out there boldly sharing, doing what Christ has asked him to do. And he must have been pretty active and pretty engaged in it, right? Because it's only about two weeks of sharing. And the people he's trying to share with are so fed up that they decide we're just going to kill him. Now, if we see that and we understand that in Saul's life, I think it, it raises a question that, that may be a little uncomfortable for us to ponder, but something we should. How are we doing with sharing compared to Saul? <laughs> because his approach is not the approach most of us tend to take, right? We're really not that quick to share. We're really not that engaged in sharing. Maybe we're really not that committed, we could say, to sharing. We like to play it slow, maybe kind of hint at our faith a little bit, kind of feel it out, see if there's an opening. Saul doesn't do that. It takes Saul all of 15 days for the people to decide, we've got to shut this guy up. He won't stop talking about Jesus. You know what we should do? We should murder him. I mean, that's a a pretty big jump, right? Somebody can be pretty mad at you, (laughs) but to jump to we're going to murder you, they've got to be really upset. That's because of the zeal of Saul to do what Jesus had told him to do. His zeal for proclaiming Christ is just as strong as his former zeal to destroy the disciples ever was. And so looking at the life of Saul and understanding these things, looking at how God is working in this moment of history, I think we can see this important truth resounding from Saul's life into our lives here today. God's desire is for us to grow past 
letting our pasts hinder us from obeying Jesus. That's what I, I think he did in, in Saul. Over those three years, he didn't temper Saul's zeal down so that Saul was less zealous to share about Jesus. We see at the end of the three years, Saul goes to Jerusalem, and in 15 days, his life is in danger because he's still so zealous to share about Jesus, right? Saul was determined and wired and strengthened by God to not let his past hinder him from obeying Christ. And your past, my past, should not hinder us from sharing the message of Jesus in Philadelphia or Palmyra or Monroe City or wherever else we may go. We should be like Saul in this. When he was saved, he began to act like a person who was really saved. He understood his past was forgiven, his sins were removed. And now his story was not just one of empty religious experiences or carefully cultivated appearances. His story was one of real, personal, genuine redemption and true transformation. And he wanted everyone to see what God had done. And he wanted to invite everyone in to experience that themselves. So the challenge for us to think about today the first question we always have to ask ourselves is this. Have I experienced real salvation and forgiveness like this in my life? Again, I, I don't want to take for granted that because we're in church, because we've been in church a long time, because we have a history of claiming to be a Christian, that this is true and real in our lives. There's people who go 30, 40, 50 years in church looking like they're supposed to look like who have never really experienced salvation. And I don't ever want to presume that for you. The Bible tells you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to answer these questions. I can't. I can't answer them for you. So ask the question in your own heart, your own mind today. Really ask, have I experienced this type of salvation and transformation in my life? If not, then today is the day for you to do that. But if you answer yes, and I think many of you genuinely will answer, yes, I've experienced this. And my question for you is, are you living like you have? Are you sharing who Jesus is and what he has done with those God has put around you? Or are you letting something hold you back? Specifically, ponder the question today. Have you personally grown past the temptation to let your past hold you back? Do you understand today that your sins and the shame of your past is all covered by the fullness of the blood of Christ? Do you see how the contrast between what you once were and what God has made you to be, do you see that? Do you understand how God is using who you were and who you are now as part of your story, the, the details you are called to begin to incorporate into sharing Jesus with those around you? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you have a full salvation, a complete salvation. All of your sins are dealt with. All of your past is forgiven. And the story that you are living out now is one of redemption and transformation and the overwhelming power and goodness of God. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Are you sharing that? Are you growing past your past? Are you growing to the point where you're using those things to share who Jesus is, like Saul did? Or perhaps are you content? Are you just coasting along? These are questions all of us have to answer and deal with. 
Saul was a person who was grown, who was discipled over a period of years. Those three years that he had to learn about Christ and his work were preparing him for what God was going to do in him and through him, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But you and I have to be just as committed to growing spiritually in our lives today too. That's not just for Saul, that's for us. But none of us are getting an invitation to three years in the wilderness with Jesus as our teacher. (laughs) Sounds awesome, but that won't happen. What we do have and the way we will grow is what he has left to us and told us is the means by which we will grow spiritually. It's in his word. It's in the scriptures that God gives you everything you need to grow and to be trained and built up the way Saul was. For Saul, three years in the wilderness is what it took. For you, it's 66 books in the scriptures, which God himself tells us is Sufficient for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the training manual. This is what you need to study in order to grow, in order to be ready to be used by God. That's why coming here to the Lord's Day gathering like this, where preaching is primary in this service, is so crucial for your soul and for your spiritual life and your growth. It's why I'm always telling you this, is, this, this moment, this service, it shouldn't be an add-on to your life. This is not an optional part of your life according to the word of God. It's not supposed to be second string behind anything else in your life. God commands his people very clearly in Hebrews 10, 25, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't get content. Don't be complacent. The farther we go in history, the the more we walk with Jesus, the closer we get to the end of all things, the more we should be gathering together. So as the worship team comes this morning, I want to take just, just a moment to clearly explain again what the point of these next few moments here in, in the room are all about, what this response time that marks our service every week is all about. If you've never submitted your heart to Christ, never experienced the saving power of Jesus, then today, this moment, this time is certainly an invitation time for you to come and receive his mercy and grace today. But I know that many of us in this room, we feel like I've experienced that, I'm saved, I I know that. And so so you might be tempted to think, well, this this moment then isn't for me, but, but it is. For those of us in this room, that's the majority of us, maybe it's all of us in here today, who have experienced the saving power of Christ, we live in the tension of the already but not yet. Right? We live in this moment where we're saved, where we have some desire, some part of us that wants to submit to Christ and follow Christ, but we're not yet perfect. And so we fail and we mess up and we get off track and we, we realize our weaknesses and our lack of ability to do it. So this moment right here is the time for us to to respond. In fact, this, this time may be every week more for us who have already experienced the salvation of God, but realized our shortcomings in this last week than it is for anything else. These moments are for all of us, an invitation to all of us to come and repent, to come and ask God for help, for strength, for wisdom to obey him, to come and do some of the work to grow in becoming more like him. Sometimes these moments are, are, are just for you to, to take a step of faith and come and, and lay down before God a need that you recognize you yourself can't handle. Asking him to heal, asking him to, to, to do something in the life of somebody else who, who you can't fix, you can't change. Asking him 
to, to take a situation that you've tried to take care of but now realize you, you can't on your own. So this response time at the end of every service like this is, is not just something you have heard today. It's not just about a call to salvation. This is readying time. If you've never experienced salvation, today's the day to come do that. But this moment's not just for that. It's not just the time to come if you have a really, really big need in your life. This is a chance, an opportunity every single week intentionally put here so that every believer has the opportunity to respond to the word, to grow, to take a step forward spiritually and be made ready for what lies ahead. As I've said before, this place here is is an outpost of the kingdom of God in the dark kingdom that we are living in right now. We live in a broken world. We live in a, in a society filled with people who need the hope of the gospel. And when we come in here, it's our chance to get built up, to get refreshed, to get healed, to get equipped so that we can go back out and do what it is God has commanded us to do in this coming week and share who he is. So let's come. Let's respond and be made ready this morning. The altars are open to anyone and everyone for any need. Let's respond and be made ready for what God has for us in the future.